This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers by Joe. Fancy Watsits. You'll be surprised we're able to do them at our price. A full range of sizes and all of our lovely colors. They're washable and durable and will never wear out. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Another week, another fantastic episode of Are You Being Served? Really, really excited to start season five. Um. Ooh, that was a loud one. Okay. I need to have my props ready before we start recording the podcast, don't I? Thank you, Esmeralda. Glad for you to join us. Yes, well, well done, Esmeralda. And Gladys is here. There we go. She was feeling a little neglected. <laughs> We've been hearing some lovely um, accolades from our uh, from our lovely a- uh, unanimous listeners, haven't we, Mr. Jeff? That's right, Mr. Brandon. We'd like to thank Michael and Bethany and Anne and Neil and Keith for joining us Hello. on the podcast. Hello. And last week we asked a question if anyone else out there had heard um, a, a playground rumor about what green M&M's, M&Ms do to you or if that was just a regional thing here in the New York area. And I thought Jeff was making it up. I had never heard of that before. Apparently it made you rather amorous for the opposite or same sex. And we heard from um, superfan Susan on Twitter. I have to say, we don't get a lot of attention on Twitter, and that's completely my fault. Because, like, I'm the Twitter person, and I'm, like, always filing my nails or something. But but she says, Susan on Twitter says, um, she agreed with you, Jeff, so you were not making it up. I apologize for all the nasty things I said about that when we <laughs> stopped recording. Um, she said back in um, her hometown of Cleveland, Ohio... Um, she too remembered them having a quote reputation and I liked how ladylike she was by that (laughs) response and she also went on and saying that like our show was our podcast was a bright point in her day or some such thing so thank you Susan thank you Susan that's that's what we want to bring to everyone so thank you for listening Um, please remember to wear a mask and wash your hands uh, even if you get treated for COVID within three days by a steroid that causes delusions of grandeur, um, while you're at it, register to vote and Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. You know, um, speaking of registering to vote, um, she's coming from Texas, and I, I think Texas may or may not have any more days to register to vote. I think a lot of states across the United States, that ship has come and gone. I know in Ohio, that was, the, I think, the, that was the yesterday. last day. Yeah. yeah, it was yesterday to register. Arkansas, lots of other states. So check it out. If you are registered, um, go and early vote. That's what I'm going to do in New York State. So it's important. So I think you all have heard enough of, from us about that already, right? Yeah, so next week we'll be reminding you to vote rather than registering to vote. Yeah, um, yeah here in New Jersey, they, uh, we have all, most people have gotten their, their ballots already because we're doing 100% mail-ins 
uh, this year. And they don't start counting the ballots until 10 days before the election. So I'm, I'm actually going to wait to drop mine off at the ballot box until 10 days just in case something happens to those ballot boxes. So I want them to you know, be picked up on a regular basis within those 10 days and started yeah. getting counted then. So that's and my approach. I, and I will also just, you know, we always say in, the, in every episode since, you know, things have kind of been hitting the fan to wear your mask and wash your hands. And the reason we do that is because COVID is ramping up again. And just as we're um, recording this episode, uh, Stephen Miller just came out as positive for COVID. So like as you're watching TV, as you're living your life, more and more people in the administration are getting COVID. So don't take it lightly. Wear a mask. It's serious stuff. There we go. So what are we talking about? What is this podcast about, Jeff? So today we <laughs> start season five with Mrs. Slocum Expects. And this episode premiered on February 25th, 1977. So how much time, like, skipped between seasons? Is it, is it, like, a normal amount of time, or was it, like, years? No, it was just about a year, because we had the Christmas special in December, and the previous season wrapped up in May 1976. So okay. less, less than a year between regular seasons. So this isn't one of those seasons where it was, like, two or three years later? No. Okay. No. Cool, cool. So what happened? Take us back, Jeff. What happened in 1977? So that week in the news uh, was the first test flight of the space shuttle Enterprise. Oh, my. <laughs> With a fistful of this stuff, I wouldn't be afraid of a supernova. <laughs> Thank you. That's my George Decay. Thank you. George Decay, excuse me. And Oscar Romero became Archbishop of San Salvador. He was uh, very vocal about speaking out against um, social injustice in Latin America, and he was assassinated because of it in 1980. Uh, he was made a saint by, I believe, Pope Benedict. Um, hmm. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he is the namesake of my friend's son. Thank you, Oscar Romero. San Salvador. That's a little kid running around somewhere in New Jersey, maybe. Uh, um, that's cool. I have to say, this is um, uh, a really good episode. And then the one after this is a really good... Like, I feel like the series has gotten into like uh, its groove, right? Like, it knows what things to put up against the, which characters in which the, the audience will just, like, flip their wig about. Season so. five has a lot of good episodes and a lot of episodes with really strong scenes in this. And I think this episode does have one of my uh, top five scenes of the entire series. And a so. lot of quotable things. Pure valor! You know, <laughs> like, all of these things. Of course, it's all Mr. Humphreys. It's the Mr. Humphreys show for me, as, as everyone knows. So... <laughs> so uh, really interesting, before we get started, the DVD yeah. description for this episode states that the staff have kittens when they find out Mrs. Slocum is expecting. And I didn't know that having kittens was British slang, because I've been familiar with it for so long, I didn't know that it started there. Oh, um, like, oh my god, she was, uh, I'm trying to think of, an, of, of a use of it. Um, my mom was so surprised she had kittens. Yeah. It's, you know, becoming very um, visibly upset about something, yeah, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it comes from a Middle Ages Scottish superstition that if a pregnant woman felt any belly pain, then she was cursed and actually pregnant with cats and not people. Ooh, that's kind of freaky. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. And then, of course, Bart Simpson modernized it to having a cow, as in don't have a cow man. Oh, I haven't heard that in a long time. Jeez. Yeah. Okay, so I guess if so, that's why the the staff have kittens was 
super funny in England. We were like, oh, we don't get it. Right. Okay. There we go. So we open the show right before the morning bell and the cleaners are on the floor and Daphne is singing Ella Fitzgerald's The Man I Love. Um, do you care to hum a few bars for the us, Brandon? The Man I Love. <laughs> That's all I uh, and so the lyrics go, someday he'll come along and he'll be big and strong. And Mr. Rumbold walks in. Oh, there you are, she jokes. <laughs> um, Maybe not so big and strong, but he had good ears. He had big ears. He had jug ears, if anything. Right? <laughs> um, he's got an important staff meeting at 830 and it's already 840. So we know that we're in for some good excuses oh, as to yes. why everyone's late. Right? And I bet you the lift is about to ding. And on cue, oh, not quite yet, right? Um, because Mr. Harmon says, well, they might have gotten caught in the blizzard oh, yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Mr. Rumbold is getting more and more cross. And he says, I'm not going to stand here like a lemon while they all amble in <laughs> one by one. Then I, on cue, the weird. lift doors just, open. It's, it's weird that, like, why is lemon, like, is that is that like a euphemism in the UK? I don't know. I didn't really pick up on that one. It just seemed like, you know, if... Someone who's got a sour face on. Or maybe it's a bald head. I don't know. So on cue, now the lift doors open and everyone comes out of the lifts with snow piled all over them. It turns out they were waiting by the security gate, but no one, meaning Mr. Rumbold, ever told the security guards to let them in early. So they were standing outside for 20 minutes in the snow. Oh, gosh. Mr. Rumbold promptly promptly eats a little bit of crow and orders coffee for everyone. Um, it's so cold outside that, uh, Mr. Humphreys can't feel any of his extremities, which is unusual for him. It is unusual for me, isn't it? Yes, it is, Mr. (laughs) I love those. Yeah. And Mrs. Slocum finally arrives behind the group and she arrives miming, holding an umbrella. Uh, the wind blew it away. And it turns out she was late because the central heating in her flat had broken down and she had to light the oven and hold her pussy in front of it. So, you know, her gas stove and her heating often breaks down. It seems like every episode something's well, breaking she, down or the water tank or something. Well, she can't afford to replace it because she doesn't get that much commission. So mm. thanks a lot, Mr. Grace. So Mr. Harmon serves the coffee and she can't face it because she's been feeling queasy the fa- past few mornings. And so this is the beginning of a trope, right? Anytime that a female character on television or in the movies is presented as feeling nauseated, the audience is trained to assume that she's pregnant. So this is the first clue that we have that this is where the storyline is going to go. So it turns out that young Mr. Grace has been reading on some sales psychology and wants to take advantage of the herd instinct. And Mr. Lucas draws an analogy to a confidence trick like three-card money, where one of the gangs starts the bidding and then the mugs, you know, can join in and eventually get taken advantage of. Um, Mr. Rumble takes a little bit of offense to it being like a card trick, uh, but <laughs> it goes on to explain, you know, you should use suge- phrases like, I wish I could afford that, which we'll hear in a bit. Um, by Jove, that's good value for money. Or I must have one of those before they're all snapped up. It's funny how later in the episode we hear uh, Captain Peacock really take offense to uh, when Mr. Lucas says um, conning the mugs. Yeah. You know, it's like it must be a very like lower class phraseology. And of course, you know, they're all you know, we're, we, we wear um, starched 
cuffs and ties and a, and a waistcoat in, in my my line of work. I don't con the mug. We don't con the mugs, Mr. Lucas here at Grace Brothers. Yeah, well, I mean, so what, Captain, what Captain Peacock is taking offense to is that it's, you know, they run a legitimate business as opposed to a street card hustle. Uh, and so he's always, you know, trying to put Mr. Lucas in his place anyway. Yeah, except they like, they, they knee the jackets, the knee the trousers, and knee the bowler hats, but that's a difference. It's, it's all gray, isn't it? Or in Mr. Humphrey's case, it's pink. <laughs> um, so by Jove, I, I don't think that we've ever talked about what that means before, why it's, you know, no, what that no, no, I always wonder. And so it's a calc, which you might recall means a word-for-word literal translation of the Latin phrase mm-hmm. by Jupiter, like the, the, the Roman god Jupiter. And okay. back in Roman times, that's who they would swear oaths on, is they would say, you know, by Jupiter, I swear this to be true. And so, oh. yeah. And so the anglicized, um, uh, the anglicized pronunciation of the Latin word Jupiter is Jove. And it's just oh, become by Jove as a way of like as, as a way of a mincing oath to say by God, it's you know by Jove. And I realize that like English is um, it's a Germanic language and it's not like a Romance language like French and Spanish. So it's not Latin derived. I know you I know you know a lot more about this than I do. But it's interesting to think because London used to be a, a, a Londonanium, right? It used to be a, a Roman little yeah, settlement. part of the Roman Empire. So it's kind of cool to think that, like, people in Rome, which at that point was London, they started calling, or the Roman Empire, they would say, by Jupiter, and then it just kind of stuck, and people in 1977 were still using it. That's kind of cool. Yeah, English is, is indeed a Germanic language, but we have so much influence from Latin and Greek and uh, modern languages like French that... It's almost hard to um, to decipher as, as a pure Germanic language, right? Um, Dutch is our closest relative, and if any of you have been watching RuPaul's Drag Race Holland no. with the uh, subtitles on, you know they, they speak Dutch and they have English subtitles. If you listen carefully enough um, and you know what pronunciation switches to look out for, you know there might be some things you can understand. Um, there are two sentences in Dutch that are spelled exactly the same as they are in English, which is, um, my pen is in my hand, which in Dutch, I think it's pronounced my, my pen is in my hunt. And then my hand is in warm water. Uh, <laughs> okay. That is extremely specific, but, the, but... they're sent, they're, they're spelled exactly the same in, in Dutch and in English. Yeah. So, uh, there we go. Mr. Rumble challenges the rest of the staff to come up with their own phrases. And all of a sudden, Mr. Granger bursts out, I've left the gas on. Um, which is, of course, he's, again, a reference not to his paying stove. attention. Right. He's in his own world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, a little bit later on, he's, he, he still isn't paying attention. He remarks, oh, well, it'll warm up the kitchen, perhaps. And then, of course, Again. like uh, Mr. Rumbold is like, well, Mr. Granger, I'm not sure that's the right phrase. I don't think that would sell many, many trousers. Of course, he's like, toast so stupid. Right. I love it. Miss um, <laughs> Brahms goes to pour herself a cup of coffee and she goes, damn, there's none left. Oh, very good, Miss Brahms. It conveys a sense of urgency, right? <laughs> Damn, there's none left. Yeah, so stupid. 
Um, Mr. Lucas is insulting Mrs. Slocum, and she goes, are we going to have much more of that, Mr. Lucas? Yes, very good, Mrs. Slocum. That indicates the staff can produce <laughs> another one if they run out, right? And then Mr. Humphreys um, does the fabulous little line that I liked a lot, which happens to be the Grace Brothers uh, by, by Joe Fancy Watsits. Um, what do they say? Well, uh, how, how could Grace Brothers fancy them doing it at that price? A full range of sizes and all He goes on colors. this whole soliloquy. It's and so Mr. cute. was like, that's excellent. What is it? What are you describing? I don't know, but if you got it, I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So they cut down to the canteen and thus begins my favorite scene <laughs> of the episode. Um, and which, of the whole series you've said before, this is like your favorite scene ever. This is this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire of the entire series, um, and this is what we see in the three or four minutes of this scene. I think is the entire plot of the entire comp- uh, 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 series of Three's Company. Right? It <laughs> is a overheard misunderstanding that results in hilarious consequences. Right? Um, yep. We cut to the canteen where Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms are having a chat. Uh, and she says, I took the pussy to the vet and he confirmed it. But the and gentleman then the guys walk in like, and right then the there. gentlemen walk in. So they haven't heard that part of the conversation. They don't know what they're talking about. And so Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms are having this perfectly normal conversation that isn't gossip or isn't anything salacious. And so they're, they're just, just catching kind of, like, up with talk each, to each other. other. Yeah. Right. But the yeah. gentlemen are, are overhearing. Like you see from their body language that they're trying to listen in. Like they shouldn't be part of this conversation. Like they're he- overhearing <laughs> gossip. They look like cartoons. I mean, it's, it's funny because it's Mr. It's, it's Captain Peacock, Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas. And Mr. Gr- Mr. Humphreys will look at Mr. Lucas and, and give him a look like, is she saying what I think she's saying? And then they all look over. They look like a cartoon. It's really, really cute. They I, I did think the physical comedy of that was really good. Yeah, those those three actors did a really good job about reacting to the conversation that was going on, and then reacting with each other in unison. Right? Yeah, uh, showing surprise, <laughs> showing difference between concern and surprise and shock and confusion. It was it was really really well well acted. Right, so we're gonna really yeah. you know go deep here in, in this scene. So. Um, uh, Miss Brahm says, well, everything happens to you, doesn't it? That's what Mrs. Axelby said, right? Um, <laughs> so Miss Brahms asks, when is the happy event? And this is the line that catches the men's attention because yeah. happy event is a phrase that is associated with giving birth, right? It is sure. not, yeah, yeah. It's, it, that, that's what that is a kind of euphemism for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the clinic said it could be any day now, but the funny thing is it doesn't show. All three men... Uh, look at her middle in unison. Like they peer over to try and get uh, a peek. Uh, and to All the point in where unison. Mr. Lucas, it's so cute. Right. Mr. Lucas even stands up to get a really close look. And you can see. Because <laughs> he's for the end. Yeah, she's turned facing uh, Miss Brahm. So she can't see the three guys. Of course, like in real life she would. But it's a comedy TV show, people. Right. Um, so clever. This is really a good scene. Yeah. So Miss Brom says, well, it's a pity with you having been so careful and all. Hysterical line, because being careful is a euphemism for using contraception or birth control. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and you don't know who the father is, and all the men react with shock, right? <laughs> that someone in Mrs. Slocum's age could be so promiscuous that she doesn't know who the father of her uh, to-be-born child is. Well, yes and no. 
And this is where the the men sign surprise. I yeah. suspect that it happened on my birthday when I came back from the pub after a few too many and I didn't shut the door properly. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the men are like almost sickened. They're what like, they're picturing in their mind's eye. Yeah. She'll just let anybody in, right? I think he lives with that woman in the next house. Um, and Miss Brahms, Miss Brahms asks, "He's ginger, isn't he?" And at this point, Mister Humphrey is is leaning on the table with his elbow, and it just falls off in the slightest way that he loses <laughs> his balance. And I think this is one of the best reactions of the entire series because oh, it says God. so much with so little. Yeah, and it's so cute because it's it, it again points to the fact that he's clearly a homosexual. And as we'll touch later in this episode, like, he has so many opportunities to kind of come out of the closet or whatever, but he doesn't. But just the fact that it's gender, would you remind some of the listeners, because we've been getting a lot of new listeners lately, they might not have heard why, for some reason, Mr. Humphreys is very tuned to the word ginger. What is that about? Yeah, so ginger is a slang word that means gay, and is it Cockney rhyming slang? I think it I is. actually forgot. It is. Ugh. All those think, five stars go to four now, Jeff. Come I know on. they're dialing down. I think you're going to have to remind remind the the unanimous because I've completely forgotten. <laughs> no, that wasn't very good. Uh, so, Cockney rhyming slang is this crazy thing that's so cool. And if you don't know what it is, you will actually maybe not get about ten percent of the show, wouldn't you say? Um, so, a lot of jokes and a lot of things that Mr. Hum- Mr. Harmond, Mr. Mash. And Mr. Lucas says, sometimes Miss Brahms, are Cockney rhyming slang. So um, back in the Cockney, like, I don't know, turn of the century, 20th 20th century, um, people would want to say things in a way that the the local coppers wouldn't, the, the local constables, I should say, wouldn't know what they're talking about. So you would say a word in a way that people who knew the code would know what you're saying, but the, the police officer wouldn't. So there are all these things, and if you go to Britain, you'll see, like, even on the news, they'll use Cockney rhyming slang. And as American, you're like, what are you, why are they talking about Barney Rubble and the Flintstones during this TV show about, like, uh, breaking and entering? What's that about? So what Ms. Brom says, he's ginger, isn't he? So ginger beer. Ginger beer. Ginger beer is a, is a drink. And ginger beer rhymes with the word queer. So instead of saying someone's gay or queer, you can just call them ginger. So it's like you take two words that sounds like another one, remove the middle word from the first phrase. There's a second word. It's very confusing. So like another example is um, instead of saying stairs, you can say apple and pears because they rhyme. It's very confusing. But you'll go over there. Like I mentioned the, the, the Flintstones thing. If you go and watch the evening news and they'll say uh, on... In Piccadilly Circus, a, a, a young man was apprehended for uh, displaying a knife to constables. After the Barney, he was taken to police station. So Barney is Cockney rhyming slang for Barney Rubble, which sounds like the word trouble. <laughs> so it's weird. If you don't know Cockney rhyming, Cockney rhyming slang, you will not understand things yeah. in Britain, and especially on Are You Being Served. So that's why when she says, he's ginger, isn't he? Anytime you hear the word ginger, especially on the show, it means, like, to gay people, gay people. Because you wouldn't say gay, you would say, oh, he's ginger, right? Which is kind of a code word, like, oh, he's gay. 
So it's very deep, this joke. The end. <laughs> so Mrs. Slocum says, no, it wouldn't be that one because he had the operation two years ago, which causes more concern for Mr. Humphreys. Because <laughs> he didn't know you could have an operation for what he has. He's Burmese. His name is Wang Ting, and he spends all day in the garden, crouched in the rhubarb. So a little bit of a groaner here that they went with making a um, stereotypical Oriental-sounding name with Wang Ting. Wang Ting is no way near authentic and sounds like a Burmese name. Yeah. I don't expect them to go super authentic, but you know this is um, this is ba- like basically one step away removed from uh, that slur that Rosie O'Donnell said on her show many, many years ago. But anyway, um, really interesting thing about Burmese naming, which all right, I find interesting. Hopefully our, our listeners will as well. So um, <laughs> Burmese, traditionally, Burmese people will name their children according to Burmese astrology. which is not based on a month, but rather based on a week. So depending on what day of the week your child is born with, there are a certain number of sounds that you can start their name with. So for example, if you're born on a Monday, your name can begin with a K or a G sound. And if you're born on a Thursday, I think it is, your name can begin with a P or a B sound. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, yeah. that's like all, like, every, like, in this, like, the Western culture. So, that's like, if you were born on a Monday, your name begins with a ba or a ta sound. So, if you meet someone and their name is Thomas, you know that they were born on a Monday. You would know that they were born on a Monday, yeah. Oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, yeah. I will say, um, Mrs. Slocum, the way he said, she says, he's Burmese. It sounded like a little racist to me. You know, like, disparaging like he's not he's not an english cat he's a burmese cat which is so bullshit but um you know i think um who was it someone else later in the episode says oh it was mr Harmon says that the kittens uh look half chinese right which is so stupid so i'm like okay just wanted to throw that out there yeah and so miss brahms asks to end the scene um will it be at home and Mr. Slocum says, well, either there or in the fitting room. And Peacock <laughs> does a spit take here. So good. And we've seen Mrs. Slocum attempt to do a spit take twice before and it's not like succeed. a dribble take for her. It was yeah. a dribble take. <laughs> but here, Peacock, we got the spray. You can see the droplets in the air. Dr. Fauci would have had a heart attack looking at it today. <laughs> but he has a well, well executed uh, spit take. Nice and Dr. So, Fauci reference, by the way. Thank you very much. Very um, nicely done. It wasn't intended, but, you know, these things happen in the best of families, uh, Mrs. Slocum admits. And so Mr. Humphreys asks, well, are you hoping for a boy or a girl? Hoff and Hoff, she says, <laughs> because she's talking about a litter of kittens. Yeah. And Mr. Humphreys says, well, that happens in the best of families, too. <laughs> and you know, whatever he was about to say, the audience knew he was about to make a joke about being gay. Right. And they knew it was going to be from Mr. Humphreys. Some and kind the, of play on gender or sexual orientation Yeah, or by the time he gets to the second half of his phrase, the audience is already roaring with laughter. So we think, he says, that happened, That also happens in the best of families. We couldn't really hear it because he's so, they're, they're laughing so much. I will say there was a scene in this episode, I don't remember where it was, where, oh, it's Mr. Humphreys uh, later on the episode. He says, I'm free, and the, the, the crowd... And the audience 
like wants to erupt with laughter. It's it's amazing. I mean, he's a rock star by this point by season five. The audience is well trained to know what yes. to expect. It's Pavlovian yeah. at this point, really. Almost, right? <laughs> They're starting to salivate. So Mr. Slocum's parting words are I can find good homes for six, but any more than that will have to be drowned in a bucket. <laughs> So this is where they cotton on that she's talking about her cat and not actually expecting a baby, a human baby, right? Jeez. Granger has to go home immediately because he's got a Burmese bus conductor next door and his wife is very fond of rhubarb, (laughs) which is hysterical. I will say, I want to say something about Mr. Mr. Excuse me, Captain Captain Peacock. He says to Lucas, he says, I think we have the wrong end of the stick. (laughs) So that is a phrase I learned from the show. When I was a kid. Um, so, you know, I, how do I know that, like, it's, I was a strange child, <laughs> strange young teenager, because I learned, like, all of these phrases and phraseology and the way of saying things from Are You Being Served? So um, I would have this, I don't know, like a, a situation where I would say, you know, in, in, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade, I think you have the wrong end of the stick, and I don't think that's a phrase Americans no. use because people would look at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, so it's funny. So that was one of the phrases I used to use when I was really young. And people would like, what does that mean? So I kind of learned like, oh, maybe I shouldn't learn adult English from a 50-year-old British TV show. There you go. Um, have you ever had rhubarb? You know, I have. I don't know if it's a Southern thing, but um, it's... It looks like, like stalkish, almost like celery, and it's red. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's sweet, but I know in the South anyway, you make strawberry rhubarb pie. And I, yeah. I wonder if it's like for the poorer folks who couldn't afford strawberries, because those are kind of expensive, especially even back in the day. I wonder if you could put str- like rhubarb in there and add lots of sugar and people kind of, it's like mock strawberries. Like strawberry extender, like strawberry helper. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Um, but yeah, strawberry helper, basically. What about you? I must, I feel like I have had rhubarb before, but I can't quite taste the. I uh, can't quite place the taste because I feel like it's always mixed with something, like with strawberry or with some other kind of berry. Because hmm. on on its own, uh, well, first of all, on its own raw, it's poisonous. Right. Um, the leaves contain oxalic acid, which can cause kidney stones. And if you eat it in large quantities raw, like about four pounds worth, it could kill you, which is why I know. like Waiter, cancel my rhubarb. <laughs> which is why, you know, rhubarb is al- almost always cooked into a pie or a jelly. That's where you, you hear it um, being being eaten. But oh, okay. I, th- I think I think it might indeed be a southern thing. I don't think it's as popular um, up, up north here. That man was as sweet as rhubarb pie. No, I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> Could be, though. But I tell you what, now all this talk of rhubarb, I want something sweet. Why don't we go take a little tea break? What do you say, Mr. Jeff? Sounds like a plan. All right, we'll be right back after some rhubarb in the canteen. Ba-bum, 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 ba
Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. Okay, hey, we're back from the tea break. Um, the manageress was off today, so that was our uh, lucky break. Um, I had delicious rhubarb pie. What did you have, Mr. Jeff? I found some uh, rhubarb junket that was left over from the Christmas episode last week. So I tried that, and it was, um, well, let's just say I think the tin was expired. I hope, yeah, I was going to hope, I was going to say, I hope you uh, read your tin, your, the packets in your pantry in case your library was closed. But <laughs> there we go. And so now we have uh, a new segment where we talk about English things we like. And that segment is called I Am Unanimous unanimous in This. So, Ah. Brandon, what are we going to talk about this week? This week Sweetie darling. Sweetie darling. Sweetie darling. This week on I Am Unanimous in This, we're going to be discussing Absolutely Fabulous, a television program from the United Kingdom. That's right, unanimous. I think that it is a fair you. bet I to love say that you fell into a, a TV announcer voice. That was great. <laughs> I think it's a fair bet to say that looking at the demographics of our audience, that we have quite a few AbFab fans also among our fray. Wouldn't you say, Mr. Um, Brandon? Oh. Yes, like you probably, the the overlap of this podcast and RuPaul's Drag Race and like sequins and um, unicorns and absolutely fabulous is probably very um, overlapping is what I would say. That Venn diagram is a bunch of concentric circles, to put it another way. Yeah. So Absolutely Fabulous premiered on the BBC in 1992 and it originally started as a sketch on the French and Saunders show, uh, which starred and was uh, conceived and written by uh, Don French and Jennifer Saunders, who went on to play uh, Eddie Monsoon on the series. Um, it only lasted, there were only 39 episodes in the entire series, but it, was, it was broadcast over the course of several years, uh, from 1992 through 2016. Oh my God, uh, that's crazy. Um, uh, 2012, I'm sorry, was the, the TV show, and then the movie came out in 2016. But it's just like Are You Being Served, where they they don't do a lot of episodes. We're used to, right. in American American TV shows, to have like Are you, uh, Star Trek, like 28 episodes a season. It's crazy. Right. They'd have six episodes, and then maybe a Christmas special, and then they'd go off for two years, and then, you know, the series, the series was supposed to end several times, right? The, so... The very end of season three uh, is a two-part episode called The Last Shout, where Safi's supposed to get married. 
And that isn't available on American rebroadcasts. Oh. Um, you have to do some very, um, uh, very hunting, very detailed hunting in order to find it on the internet. So that's when the series was supposed to end because Jennifer Saunders was going to do another idea for a show called Mirrorball, um, starring the, the same cast. It came back for a fourth season because it was picked up um, by Comedy Central. And so they worked together with the BBC to do the fourth season. Uh, and that was in 2001. And so then it came back two years later for a fifth unexpected season. Uh, and then in 2012, there were three 20th anniversary episodes <laughs> um, that came out um, right around the Olympics. So, so it's, it's, it's the show that refuses to die. Thank God. But now that we know when it's been around, what is the appeal to the homosexualist community, Jeff? That's what I don't understand. So the whole premise of the show is about uh, two women who are uh, very wealthy and live a life with very little responsibility and just this kind of hedonistic lifestyle that they lead. And then they contrast that with um, Eddie's daughter, Safi, who is very studious and buttoned up and kind of the antithesis of everything that the two lead characters, uh, Eddie and Patsy, are. And so you kind of get this you kind of get this character in both of them that is easy for um, uh, easy for queer men to kind of adore because it's kind of like the you know the bitch on wheels. If you think about uh, a Karen Walker type. Where is this just kind of Will wealthy, fabulous person who just has no cares, is very carefree, says what's on her mind. She's a strong woman and just, you know, lives this extravagant, indulgent lifestyle 24-7. There's something about, and this is a whole other, this is a whole other podcast that I'm sure they exist, about gay men and strong, powerful women. Yep. And why we love them. Uh, Judy Garland, powerful, strong woman. And, she, and the, maybe there's something to do with the fact that Patsy and Adina, um, they, they can have any man they want. Um, they don't hold themselves very accountable. They have lots of money. They are very fashionable and they're very fabulous, like the name of the show kind of implies. Um, but yeah, that's a whole thing that we could unpack for days and days and days. So... Um, I will say the com- if you love the comedy of Are You Being Served, which kind of pokes fun at sexuality, pokes fun at gender a lot, pokes fun at class, I think is a big part of Absolutely Fabulous. Absolutely, it is. Indeed. Because they both are kind of, well, I think in the show, they're kind of like lower middle class, very middle of the road, yet somehow through who knows why, they become like... Um, Oh, do you live in Holland Bush? Shepherd's Bush. Very, the very heart of Shepherd's Bush. Holland, you know, Park. Like, Holland Park. Holland Park. Holland Park. Yes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, they're very, very, very worried about, like, fame and where they, like, they have to live in the nicest neighborhood in, in Holland Park in London. Um, yet they come from very humble backgrounds. So that's that British thing about, like, class and how people can have money, but it doesn't make them high class, which is kind of a misnomer in the states because if you have money you automatically have high class over here although i'm sure that point can be argued as well yeah um what is your favorite ab ab fab episode oh god um my the one that comes to mind is parallax oh yeah that's the one that's the beginning the beginning of season four yeah it's where um so i think who so explain the differences between the two characters i think that would be good before i explain parallax 
Okay, so Eddie Monsoon is the lead character. She is Safi's mother, and she is um, she's obsessed with her weight. She's you know uh, she says she's one stone overweight, but Safi will be quick to tell that she's two. But in reality, <laughs> she's not. She's she's shaped like a and the average you know person. Um, over she's pretty she's been unlucky in love generally. Uh, she's been married twice before. Her first husband. Um, she had a son, Serge, with who has left uh, and moved to New York. And so that is with um, Marshall. And then her <laughs> second husband, Justin, turned out to be gay. Yeah. So, you know, quite unlucky in love there. She runs a PR company and um, doesn't really do a lot for her clients. She's got a very small client base, which includes Lulu, Twiggy, uh, Queen Noor of Jordan and um, Emma Spi- uh, Emma Button from the Spice Girls. Oh my Wars, god, right? <laughs> so good. Me- meanwhile, Patsy Stone is her hedonistic friend. You know, they went to um, school together. Uh, she's got um, she's a very much an Ivana Trump look alike with like a big uh, blonde poof piled on top of her head. She's extremely wealthy. She is the editor of a fashion magazine, and um, really just. Is um, is the foil is is um sorry serves as like the the foil to all of Eddie's harebrained schemes to to kind of get into. What I love about them, sorry, what I love about them both is like we. I'm trying to think like how would I explain what what Patsy does, and she runs a like a, a fashion magazine. And it's sort of making, I think I remember an interview where they were saying, where did you come up with these characters? And they said, we watched some interview and they wouldn't say who they based the people on. Of course, it could be very insulting. But um, they're making fun of like people in PR. And I I hope none of the listeners are in PR. But like the, jokes is, the joke is, they don't really do anything. Like to run a magazine, you don't really do anything. You just say, put two, two skinny bitches on the front cover with no tits and make them look emaciated and then smoking a f- cigarette, you know? <laughs> that's, if you look at a lot of magazines, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, yeah. In, so anyway, so Parallax I love is because Patsy, who is seen as probably the more fashionable person, like Eddie yep. is trying to kind of reach that level, but Fashion can't victim. really do it. She does all the fads, and it's kind of tragic of like a woman who's getting older who's like trying to dress like someone who's 25 years younger than her because it's a fad. It's one of those kind of tragic things. But Parallax is funny because (laughs) um, Eddie finds Botox and she starts using that. But she found another thing called Parallax, which is a cheaper version of Botox. And um, well, no, it's actually it's actually a much stronger version because it was developed in Portland Down, which is. Um, where British military intelligence is, you know, they, they, the British army developed it as a chemical weapon in Iraq, <laughs> <laughs> but Patsy has repurposed it for a, an injectable um, cosmetic procedure. And the funny thing is, I mean, so picture Patsy, she's got this, like this really big and her signature look is like almost like a beehive of like blonde hair. That's kind of really tall. And she comes into the episode wearing like a very, smart, simple white suit, like silk suit with really tall high heels. So she's like very tall, domineering kind of, and she's a uh, uh, Joanna Lumley who starred in Are You Being Served in two or three episodes, by the way. Yep. She comes in and she's like, do you like what my, do you like my look, sweetie darling? And they call each other sweetie darling all the time. Um, 
And Patsy's like, uh, uh, Eddie's like, oh god, you look fabulous, darling. You look fabulous. What do you do? What do you do? Do you get a little Botox? She's like, no, Paralox. And she has put so much in her face that she can't really speak or move her lips or anything on her face. So, of course, the funny thing is she tries to convince Eddie to get it as well. And it's and she, and she does it her on by herself. She doesn't go to the spa. She mixes up stronger batches of Paralox and she injects her own face. <laughs> um, it's, it's really funny to see. And if you like Are You Being Served, maybe the next podcast we do, um, Je- Mr. Jeff, has, maybe we call the one Sweetie Darling and we just talk about <laughs> absolutely fabulous. Sounds Let's like a plan it. to me. I'll I'll see you there in uh, forty what episodes. What is your or so. favorite episode? MP caught in drug craze sex romp shop with fash mag slag. <laughs> uh, it is season two hospital, where uh, Patsy is uh, caught having an affair with uh, a member of parliament, and so she decides to get a facelift to cheer herself up because she's going to be in Hello Magazine. <laughs> Welcome and to all my the tabloids because room. of it. <laughs> Right. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Eddie feels a slight pain in her toe. And so she has to get and she gets booked into hospital to um, to have a procedure that would taken out. Basically, any excuse for them to be on drugs for three days. Um, Turns out that Eddie's procedure was really minor and uh, Patsy's facelift gets botched. And so it's just hysterical all the way around. So. So we'd strongly suggest that you check out some episodes of Absolutely Fabulous. If you haven't seen it before, it's available on Hulu and on BritBox and um, pretty much most streaming devices, I think. So check it out. As Patsy once said, she embraces life and the joy of living. So as you should, too, (laughs) through Absolutely Fabulous. So that was we are. I am unanimous in that. And that something. So let's get back to the other thing we're unanimous about and Mrs. Slocum's um, expectancy, right? Yeah. So she's up in Mr. Rumble's office asking for permission to bring her cat in the next day so that it can, she can be there when it gives birth. And somehow in between the fourth season and the fifth season, Mr. Rumble has become sharp and discovered wit because he just <laughs> responds with a bunch of puns to her. Uh, saying that she should employ an au pair girl, uh, that uh, if she brought the animal in, it would result in a catastrophe, and there is no possibility of her bringing her pet in to give birth. In the to story. say that is wit is a very liberal interpretation of the word wit. I would say. Well, considering how far off Mr. Rumbold usually is when listening to like a reconstructing of events, like he's pretty sharp here. That's what I say to that. <laughs> and I got to use um, Gladys. No, Esmeralda. I'm so sorry, Gladys. There we um, go. Mrs. Slocum is incensed. He could reach for the pickle jar alone as far as I'm concerned. Don't understand that. Um, took me a while to put that one together. So another trope that we learned from television about pregnant women is that they crave pickles. And ice cream. And ice cream, usually together. And so if Mr. Rumbold were to ever find himself pregnant, she wouldn't give him any sympathy and wouldn't hand him a jar of pickles if he were craving oh. it. He'd have to reach for the pickle jar alone. Okay. Yeah. Alright. So Captain Peacock notices that it's a little bit slow in the source, so he wants to try out the herd instinct. Uh, but Miss Brom won't wear out her own coat in the firm's time. 
So, which is insane. This, <laughs> which is right. She's going to be doing this for five minutes, but that's a really cheap know, coach. Yes, right. So Captain Peacock gives her permission to go into the stock room and choose something to pretend to be a customer. Right. So he's Peacock then goes over to the gentleman's department to try and get their attention, and we go down the line. Mister Granger, are you free? Yes, I'm free. Mister Humphreys, are you free? Blah 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 blah. And so <laughs> Mister Humphreys goes. Mr. Lucas, now this question may come as a complete surprise <laughs> to you, but are you free? Like, he's taking the piss. He realizes how ridiculous the hierarchy is here, right? Um, and so he gives, he tells the gentleman that it's their turn to also uh, play on this herd instinct. Again, choose something out of the stockroom. Mr. Humphreys, the gent stockroom. Um, <laughs> and so we'll get a chance to see, you know, how it works out and if they're able to drum up any additional sales from it. Miss Brahms comes out of the cloakroom wearing a little black dress, a fur coat, a wide brimmed hat that does suit Madam, um, <laughs> sunglasses, chandelier earrings, a statement necklace and a cigarette holder. Over on the gentleman's counter, Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas begin humming David Rose's The Stripper. If you think about any kind of classic movie where they do um, have a, a strip tea scene, that's you know the song. That's the name of the song that they all uh, sing. Exactly. We all know it. And and Captain Peacock says, "Miss Brahms, you're supposed to be buying, not selling." <laughs> I now I didn't think that she looked. Given all of the gentlemen's reactions, they're implying that she looks like a prostitute. Well, she does like hike up her skirt to show off her garter grip stockings. She looks a little. She looks a little cheap, maybe, but I don't think that she looks like a prosy. No, I agree. I think it was kind of weird. So two posh female customers come in, and they're looking at the bras, and you can tell just by their short exchange. Uh, in the way that they're speaking, that they're posh women. They're women of quality. I don't know. Like, that really just uh, clipped vowels where they don't bother to say the whole vowel with their entire mouth. It's just, I don't know, right? It's almost like, um, like picture Princess Diana, the way she used to speak. I always think of her as like... The way she learned how to speak. Yes, uh, exactly. Because it's, it's, it's a little different in the United States. In the UK, once... In fact, if you look at... Um, Sporty Spice. What was her name? Is it Emma Bunting? Sporty Spice was Mel B. No, I'm sorry, wrong. Who was the Spice Girl it, that did the Union Jack flag? Uh, that's uh, 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 that was Ginger Spice. Ginger, that was, that's right. Uh, Jerry Hallowell. So, yes. Yeah. So I was watching a video where she talks. It was from like Spanish Vogue, and it was like a video on YouTube, and it's her like modern day, maybe a year or two ago, and she's talking about. The first time that she debuted the Union Jack dress as the as the Spice Girls, and she, you know, like all about fashion, so it's about the dress, blah blah. blah. And what, what was her name again? The the woman, Jerry Halliwell. Jerry Halliwell. Um, so Jerry Halliwell's sitting there, and she's having like she's sitting in her gracious drawing room, and she has like a lovely white dress on, and it's Vogue, so she's looking good. But I noticed the way she spoke it was quite posh, you see. Oh wait! Uh, well, she, no, Jerry Hallowell doesn't have a posh accent. Are you thinking about Victoria Beckham? No, who was it wasn't Victoria. No, it was Jerry Hallowell. Yeah, she was. It was she Jerry. Was the, okay. the redhead. Um, but 
I just noticed because like now all the Spice Girls are quite posh, you know, 20 years ago and now they have lovely stocks and lovely Land Rovers and married to, you know, stockbrokers as well. So it's funny because they are now kind of up in the echelon of money and fame and whatever. When you look at her, like when I remember the Spice Girls when I was young, like they were just kind of like normal people. But because she's had money in in the UK, she she speaks almost, you know, kind of like a lovely TV person, you know? And it was just like, okay, I see you're changing it. We don't do that in this country, but they do over there, yeah. you know? So Captain Peacock introduces Miss Brahms to um, Mrs. Slocum as her ladyship is, you know, <laughs> is interested. And then you get Miss Brahms in her pure East London accent how much is that? Yeah, a couple of that. Uh, and like just throws her pe- or her fur-coated peacock. She holds up the bra in front of her in the middle of the floor. And the customers are appalled. So declasse. Right? And so she, now this is where she tries to really turn on the posh charm. Uh, this will take his mind off the polo. Right? So you get that. And so Mrs. Slocum is really is giving her the it's eyes. Like we're trying getting to a taste of turn it down. We're getting a taste of Lavinia, um, J- just a little bit, which is coming up later this oh season. I'm so excited. Uh, the two customers refuse to buy the the bra because if that sort of woman likes it, I certainly don't. And they give a little tut and like a look over their shoulder and they walk away. You know, I, I, it's right. easy to kind of not poke fun, but when I talk about the you know if you if you have money and if you if you are trying to climb the social ladder, you change the way you speak, which is a kind of a famously British thing, I think, you know, but, um, the, maybe the reason I I don't mean to make fun of it. I'm just pointing out the cultural differences, which is kind of part of the show, but you know, that's one scene is kind of interesting to show that if someone in the, in London in 1977, anyway, um, spoke like she did, um, people like those customers would, um, you know, treat her very poorly and judge her. So, you know, there is, there's a second, there's a double edged side of that sword with uh, the way you speak in in Britain and even here too in the States. Over on the gentleman's counter, Mr. Granger comes out of the fitting room. Like he's been shoved out (laughs) in a rush and maybe the dressers were like, you're going to miss your cue and pushed him out. Right. Um, He's pretending to be the customer, but he doesn't quite get the, uh, the concept, right. That it's to make other people buy. So he's really trying to convince the other customer that he needs the gloves more. I've been to every shop in town to get a pair of gloves just like that, and I've been pinched at the post. Frustrated, Mr. Lucas says, shut up, you silly old fool, because he's trying to hint at him, like, this guy wants to buy it. We're going to make a sale. And so the customer leaves in a huff, and Mr. Granger looks very proud of himself because he played the part well. I did too well, didn't I? <laughs> it's cute because it, like he comes out and just, like you said, just bursts out of the like the the, the the curtain or whatever from the spinning room, and he's wearing like a weird overcoat and he has like 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 he's just come in from the street, and um, I think the, the the customer says, "Oh, these are nice," and then <laughs> Mr. Granger says, "I think they're nice too." I think I think they're nicer. Yeah, I think they're nicer. You know, it is just so cute. He sees it as a competition with the other customer, which isn't what it's supposed to be at all. Yeah, right? super. I love how his character is always a little bit confused and a little slow. But I will say, I think, and especially later in the episode, I think his dentures were a little loose. 
because of weight. That sounds about par for the course with Granger. And yeah. I don't know if it was like purpose. I mean, they are actors, you know, but um, very effective. <laughs> so now it's Mr. Humphrey's turn and he comes out of the lift wearing a full leather motorcycle outfit, which of course gets a huge applause <laughs> break from the audience. Leather and right? everything chains. He's got um, the helmet over his face, and Captain Peacock remarks, the face eludes me, but I recognize the look. Yeah, so cute. I love it. He's definitely mincing down the stairs. Yeah. So he, So Captain Peacock is very frustrated because the experiment has not been a success so far. So he instructs Mr. Humphreys, walk around and look normal. <laughs> and Mr. Humphreys goes, well, do I get extra for character work? <laughs> Implying that he's not normal, right? <laughs> So, Mr. Captain Peacock tells him, just stick to one simple theme. Oh, dear, I wish I could afford that. And we see Humphreys, like, memorizing it, like, lip, like uh, miming it in his mind to, like, memorize the words, right? So, the customer comes in looking for a pure cashmere sweater. Oh, boy. And this customer has been in, is, will be in three other uh, Are You Being Served episodes uh, going forward. I'm pretty sure he's, um, Michael Knowles is the name of this character, uh, actor. So he's uh-huh. going to be in It Pays to Advertise, which is the one where they make a TV commercial. And I think he's the camera person. I can hear Mr. Humphreys going, Mr. Crawford, Mr. Crawford. Oh, you know, yes, like yes, trying yes, to like yes, yes. get their attention, right? He's also in the club where they redecorate the social club with the wallpaper. The bit with the wallpaper paste. Yeah. Oh, that's, save that bit for over the door, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he's the one who is having an outfit custom made for his dog, Roger. Because remember, there's that whole bit where they think that he's uh, having it made for his 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 partner or his lover, and it turns out to be a dog. Oh yeah, so he definitely does yep. like play the gay customer because the customers could indeed. be gay, but the main right. stars of the show couldn't be. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's also in the hero, which is the one with the boxing match, uh, or the boil on Mr. Captain Peacock's <laughs> butt, whichever one you remember. Um, he's a customer who comes to exchange uh, some shrunken socks. So a major so, anyway. key player in this series. I'll, I'll just quickly say um, we made a post, a post for the Facebook page. So um, there's a retaking back of the hashtag Proud Boys um, hashtag. And uh, George Decay started it. So instead of giving uh, – we're trying to take away the power of the Proud Boys uh, hashtag and show proud LGBT people, Right. So um, I made one, and I didn't realize that the scene came from uh, came from, from this, this episode. episode. And yeah. Like, oh, we're here. So it's the scene where um, the customer is sitting there by Mr. Lucas, and Mr. Humphreys is on the right. So I made that a Proud Boys, and I, I said something like on the graphic, uh, Mr. Humphreys and his friends are the true Proud Boys, not the racists like the Proud Boy, uh, you know, anti-diversity uh, club or whatever they are. And qu- quite a few people in Facebook land were offended by that. Yeah, some people, uh, I posted it on another Augie uh, Being Served uh, Facebook group, and some people said they don't like it to be political, blah, 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 blah. You know, if you don't like a post, don't comment on it and don't read it. I don't know. Like, it, it's, a, it's a social thing, like, the Proud Boys are a racist organization, and they're getting a lot of, like, was it the uh, Donald Trump? Re- refuse to denounce them. Stand by and stand, stand back. By. Yeah, yeah, he's like calling them to arms, basically. So George Takei said, "Let's make this thing and like take it back. Let's make it proud boys of proud gay men, and let's take away their hashtag." So I thought of Mr. Humphreys and his quote friends. So I made a thing. 
So if people don't like it, don't comment. So that's all it is. There you go. But yeah, so it was funny that we're here. And um, I love that he has lots of friends on the show. So Mr. Humphreys is doing really well with his line, just sticking to that. Oh, I wish I could afford that. I wish I could afford that. Uh, The customer, you know, buys the cashmere sweater right away at 30 pounds. He also takes a silk scarf for 10 pounds and a velour hat for 16 pounds. Pure velour. I love the way he says that. Coming to a total of 56 pounds, which today would be 315 pounds or $410. So that's quite that a spend so for money. just three things, right? Um, and Mr. Lucas says, well, will there be anything else? Yes, the same for my friend here, gesturing to Mr. Humphreys. I'm rich, I live alone, and perhaps you might come up to my place and have a drink. Uh, oh, 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 I don't think I could afford that. Mr. Humphreys gets very nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, like I as, like I said earlier in the show, like he doesn't actually say, "Well, maybe we'll talk about it after work." No, he has to unequivocally say, "Nope, can't I can't afford that," which is very clever writing, right? Very good. Yeah. So the next morning, Mrs. Slocum is very nearly late, um, and Captain Peacock told her that she would be fired if she were absent because the cat had given birth. So she comes down the stairs, snuggling what appears to be a cat. But she zips open its tummy to reveal a pen. It turns out to be her pajama case. Ah. Right. So she, but she actually has smuggled Tittles, the expectant mother, in through the goods entrance. Uh, Mr. Harmon brings her out in a tea urn. He opens the tap and her tail comes out through the spout. Um, And in order to get the cat to retract her tail, he has to bark into the urn to scare her. (laughs) So So cute. That's pretty absurd, right? Um, young Mr. Grace uh, arrives on the floor to give everyone a few tips on salesmanship since the herd um, instinct experiment did not go so well. And so a customer comes in and they treat him like he's any on the counter. Mr. Grace, are you free? And so he goes, <laughs> he lets out the feeblest, I'm free, free. Trying, yeah. to, trying to mimic Mr. Humphreys as much as he can, which is hysterical. Um, the customer is a little concerned that he's too old to be working. And he says, I'll work until I drop. And then he drops to the floor to take <laughs> the inside so leg. Right? And then he says, I can still do it, you know, which is so <laughs> cute. Love it. Love him. Uh, meanwhile, Mr. Harmon interrupts Mrs. Slocum to let her know that the cat has started giving birth. And so she hands over the pajama case, which is named Hector, in order to keep Tittle's company, right? So, uh... The, the customer that Mr. young Mr. Grace is going to measure uh, is actually not the man because he's looking for trousers for his au pair Helga. So she, I have a question. What is an au pair? Is that like someone who helps with your kids? Yeah, that's exactly so right. It's, yeah. she, he's clearly having like an affair with... That's right. So she opens up her coat so that he can measure the inside leg and he starts having his heart palpitations, <laughs> his classic heart. But luckily his nurse is right there to take care of him. Um, Mr. Harmon comes back with the color commentary on the birth. The cat's given birth to two boys and a girl, uh, and some of them look Chinese. Yeah, a little weird. Yeah. They're coming from the, uh, um, uh, a little bit odd there. But anyway, um, just a reminder that, you know, they're, the cat, the father cat was uh, Burmese, as you had said before, right? We hear a loud meow from the fitting room, and Mrs. Slocum asks Mr. Grace's nurse for some anesthetic. 
that was a little weird like what does that mean i don't i don't know i'm not a, i'm not a vet. like uh, like I'm, I'm guessing that at that time that she was looking for some ether or something like a laughing gas that you'd inhale that would be easy to administer to a cat right i don't think that she was thinking about like something that you'd actually like inject or something right and mr grace thinks that Mrs. Slocum is asking on his behalf, well, I don't need any anesthetic. I need a pep pill. <laughs> <laughs> because he wants to do something with the au pair girl. Right. Oh, Mr. So Captain Peacock is, has, has cottoned on to the fact that she did bring the cat in, uh, contrary to orders, uh, and he goes back into the fitting room to investigate, and it seems that your pajama case has just given birth to six kittens. His attitude changes on a dime, and I must say they're absolutely enchanting. Yay! And we get an overhead shot of six kittens in a hat box. The audience paws, and there's the end of the episode. So I was curious about the cats. (laughs) 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 So I was thinking, like, okay, it's 1977. I was curious, like, if cats were to continue having kittens, um, where would those kittens be today? So it was 1977. It's 2020, so that's 43 years ago, yep. right? If Tiddles gave, this is so stupid, if Tiddles gave birth to those kittens on, on the set, today, the kittens that would be descended from the, that Tiddles, so those kittens would be the great-great-grandparents of cats today because cats live about 15 years, so I did some simple division, so that's kind of crazy because they don't live so long and it's been so long that that's some little kitty in London's great, great grand kitty. Grandparent kitty? What's the word? I don't know. There we go. Thank you for listening to That Does Suit Ancestry.meow. Oh, that was and, so good. Oh, nicely done. And, and next week we'll be talking about A Change is As Good as the Rest. And that's the one where the staff moved down to the toy department that is for the week. such a wibbly wobbly episode. <laughs> Love it. Fun time Freddy in the shower. <laughs> oh, wait. Could that be a clue card? Fun time Freddy in the shower with what would his weapon be? Of his boots. Oh, with his boots. <laughs> we didn't so that's or, right. Or a, or a wibbly wobbly. Or wibbly wobbly in uh, the wibbly wobbly roundabout. Named Raja, um, so we haven't heard of any any clue things. So uh, unanimous, you're on you're on notice. Let us know. All right, fantastic episode. Um, so this is a really good season. Season five is probably one of my favorite seasons so far. So we're in uh, in in store for some good episodes coming up. So if you want to tell us yep, about yep. a cool um, are you being served clue idea that Mr. Jeff just shared with us, uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter is does suit madam. Um, hashtag or um, what is that? The at sign. What are those called again? Handle, Handle whatever it's called. Uh, you can also write us at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com or call the Peacock Hotline at six six two Peacock. That is six six two seven three two two six two five. Thank you very much, unanimous. And remember, you've all, you've all done, done very well. Bye. See you next time. Bye, everyone. That Desert Madden is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Beware of dog. <laughs>